Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about empowering each of us with the perspective and tools to grow and change. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but there have been a few times in my life in which I received timely advice that stuck with me and changed me, or at least changed the direction in which I was headed. Advice is defined as a recommendation regarding a decision or course of conduct. And the thing about advice is this. It's usually helpful, especially when it comes at times when we're seeking an answer or stuck in a problem. This is why it is also memorable. So today, we're going to pick up where we left off last week and focus on the best advice ever received. I've asked some of the most capable leaders I know to share the best advice they've received. I'll share some advice of what some of the world's best leaders have shared, and we will explore advice from several angles. The hope is that some of what we talk about today will resonate with you. It just might be the best advice you receive in a while. And this podcast just might be a really good podcast to share with a friend. Use your share button on your podcast app and send the link to a friend with a message. It just might be what they need in their life today. Let's get started. Now, again, these experiences of the best advice that people have had in their life come in no particular order, but I hope they help you as much as they've helped me. In her book on advice, Katie Couric shares the following. The meek do not inherit the earth. She tells the story that after graduating from college, she soon realized that getting a job in TV news was not likely to happen. So one morning, she put on her best business suit, got into her family's Buick station wagon, and asked her mom to drive her to the offices of ABC. Once there, she tried to meet with the deputy bureau chief, but just like what happened when she called his office, she was politely turned away both by the secretary and the security guard. So she went to the lobby phone, called the operator and asked to be connected to the chief. She was. Here's what she said. Luckily, he answered his own phone. Hi, Davey, I blurted out. You don't know me, but your twin brother, Stephen Eddie, went to high school with my sister Kiki, and I live down the street from your cousin, Julie. He listened patiently as I rambled on. And after convincing him of our close, almost familial connections, I asked if I could come up to his newsroom and poke my head into his office. I think he was completely flummoxed by our phone conversation and said, sure, come on up. Well, I chatted with him and told him that I really wanted to work at ABC News. I told him I had a considerable amount of work experience compared with many of my peers and would be a real asset to the organization. I let him know that I was there and then some. But he was most impressed with my ability to worm my way into the office and seemed amused when I briefed him on Operation Delaney. He actually moved my resume from near the bottom of the pile to the top, and I was hired a few weeks later. Again, here's her advice. The meek will not inherit the earth. You've got to find a way to make yourself stand out from the pack. And I think this is perfect advice for you and me. Sometimes in life, we get to thinking that if we want a thing and even try to do a thing, it should automatically work for us. But life isn't that way. If you're building a business, meek won't work. It is the third phone call that usually works, the second or third overview, the third time you ask, and the bold attempt that will get you where you want to go. As the saying goes, be bold and mighty powers will come to your aid. 
And it usually is the bold that are fortunate, are lucky, and find the breaks because they're asking and seeking in ways that bring the fortune to them. You know, when my youngest daughter was 12 years old, she was trying to decide what to do for the summer when she wasn't in school. And seizing the opportunity to teach her some life lessons, I made a deal with her. At the time, we had a number of rental houses. And she was already used to having to paint or clean the rentals from time to time. I told her, I will lend you the money to buy a house. And if needed, to fix it up. And when you're done, you can sell it and pay me off and keep the profits. Or I will buy it for a fair price and keep it as a rental property. And you can keep that profit. She, seeing dollar signs in her eyes, jumped at the chance. But before I agreed, I told her, I'll give you advice, but I won't do anything. I won't do anything for you. That meant she had to work with a realtor, learn how to buy a house, work with contractors, negotiate, plan, consider costs versus benefits, and a host of other things. As I watched her, she started very meek. In her first meeting with the realtor, she said, I don't know, what do you think? A lot. She didn't talk clearly. She didn't look people in the eye. She was overwhelmed. She wanted to quit a couple of times. She made mistakes that cost her money. And soon, she realized that she had to be bold and be in charge. And over the course of the summer, the house was purchased and rebuilt. But most of the building happened with her. By the end, we had built a young woman who could negotiate, could stand on her own two feet, could talk to adults, could do adult things with some measure of confidence. And she looked people in the eye and said no when she didn't agree with something and was willing to express her opinion. And of all the things we could have taught her, this was perhaps one of the most beneficial in her life. You know, Susan was born in an average house in an average neighborhood in Wilmington, Delaware. Her father was a salesman who loved to play the piano, and he especially loved to play show tunes. So Susan grew up singing and dancing to her father's show tunes, so much so that she fell in love with dance. And when I say dance, I mean any type of dance, jazz, tap, ballet, you name it. She majored in English at the University of Delaware, but performed, choreographed, and directed community theaters. Then she went to New York as a dancer, landing several jobs, but soon realized that she loved directing and choreographing more. This change in her perspective launched a career almost unmatched on Broadway. Now, Susan Stroman is a five-time Tony Award winner as a choreographer and director. She is the recipient of two Laurence Olivier Awards, eight Out Critic Circle Awards, and the Georgia Abbott Award for Lifetime Achievement in American Theater. Here's the best advice she ever received and it came from her piano-playing father. When you face something you're afraid of, or even nervous to try, ask yourself, what's the worst that could happen? Because usually when you ask the question, you realize the worst is not as bad as you have feared. When Susan was starting out in New York, she and her friend had the idea to revive and bring to production the show Flora the Red Menace. The original creators of the show, John Kander and Fred Ebb, produced the show way back in 1965. It was a great idea to bring the show back with an overhaul production, but how could they, two unknowns in New York, ever approach these Broadway legends? So Susan asked herself, what's the worst that could happen? And the answer was, very little. So they made the approach. The show was relaunched, 
and it was a huge success. You see, too often, we let the start stop us because we think we can't do it or we'll get rejected. It'll be too hard or we don't have what it takes and on and on. And you may be building a business and been thinking about approaching someone you think would never be interested in teaming up with you. But what's the worst that could happen? Or you wonder if you can overcome that habit or try again to lose that weight one more time with all your heart and energy. What's the worst that could happen? I think Susan had it right. Too often we don't look to the end of the row and see what would happen if we took a chance or gave it our best or accepted the offer or did what we've been waiting to try. And if you're in this situation in your life today, let me say, what's the worst that could happen? Go for it. Today is the day. Don't let what might happen keep you from what could happen to change your life. Next, my friend Rebecca Connor said the best advice she ever received was to put kindness and love first. She says, when there are moments of disagreement or disappointment and frustration, it's important to keep in mind that you love the person in front of you. Whenever I do that, I realize that the issues are small and pale in comparison to the value and the importance of the person that I'm facing. This mindset has brought me peace in my life, and I would add has brought Rebecca success and friends and people who are willing to do anything for her. She goes on, today, that mindset has evolved to looking at the world through a different lens and expanding to people I don't know. The person at the register, the person in the car next to me, the homeless person, virtually everyone around me. If I'm looking at these people through the eyes of love, it's a powerful thing. It changes you as a person. And when I give this type of compassion, it pays me back tenfold. I love this advice. What Rebecca has learned is that when you see people for their true value, when you love them first, powerful things happen in you and in them. You know, in the scripture, a young man comes to Jesus and asks a sincere question, what he needed to do to get to heaven. Well, Jesus names a few commandments to which the young man responds, I've done all these things since I was little. Then Jesus, looking at him, the scripture says, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. Now, this scripture teaches many things, but before Jesus gave him the advice that was tailored to him, who had possessions, who needed to learn how to give of what he had in order to enter into heaven, he looked at him and loved him. This is the same advice given to us by Rebecca. Imagine if each time before we interact with people, we looked at them for who they could be with love. Would we interact with them differently? Yes, we would. You know, another scripture says, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over shall men give unto you. And what Rebecca has discovered, that is if you become a person who puts people first, who focuses primarily on giving, you will find a greater return than might otherwise be possible. You know, years ago, Dale Carnegie said, you can close more business in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get people interested in you. Think about people in your life. You likely know someone who's more interested in you than they are in getting you interested in them. And these people are usually rich with friends and tend to be happier people overall. 
A few years ago, Adam Rifkin shared his simple giving practice called the five-minute favor, which I've spoken about before. He says that giving doesn't mean you have to become Mother Teresa or Gandhi. You simply need to give a five-minute favor several times a day. I will tell you from experience, the practice of five-minute favors can and will change you. Here's how it works. We all find ourselves with five minutes here and there. Perhaps your appointment ends early. Perhaps you have five minutes of quiet in the car after you drop the kids off. Whatever it is, we all have five-minute moments throughout our day. And every time you find five minutes, think how and to whom you can give. It's amazing how rich your life will become if you take all the extra five minutes in our day and give. A phone call to offer encouragement. Five minutes to offer advice. To help a team member with their business. Time to make an introduction to someone, return a shopping cart for a fellow shopper, and a host of other ways to give. Not long ago, I was on the phone with a person who was struggling in their life and business. They couldn't find the spark, the motivation to move forward. They were tired, bored, anxious, and not feeling their best. I suggested this five-minute favor way of living. I invited them to give it a try, to do a five-minute favor several times a day, And then we agreed to talk a week later. As you might expect, many things had changed in their life, the most important of which is they felt better about themselves. Giving works. Next advice. Apollo was born in Seattle to a Japanese father and American mother. His parents divorced when he was a baby, and he was raised by his father. And since that time, he's had no contact with his birth mother. His father was a hairstylist and worked long hours, and to keep his son occupied, He enrolled him in swimming. There, Apollo would spend early mornings. Then, his father put him in quad-speed roller skating, which took up his afternoons. At age 13, Apollo was watching the Winter Olympics on TV and saw short track speed ice skating. So he started to learn to speed skate. And he was so good that at the age of 14, he won the U.S. championships. And from there, he would go on to qualify for the Olympics and he would become an eight-time medalist in the event. And when asked about the best advice he ever received, he said that advice was this, it isn't about the 40-second race, meaning the race he skates lasts 40 seconds. But that's not where the medals are won. The medals are won in the work and the preparation and the effort leading up to the 40 seconds. He said that when he was a young man, He weighed 165 pounds and leg pressed 1,400 pounds, which is pretty good. But eight years later, when he won the Olympics, he was 141 pounds and leg pressed 2,000 pounds. He said it's more about the training and the discipline than the race itself. Now, the same goes for you and me. Sometimes in life, we think it's about the sale or the noticeable things that make us a success or not. But it is about the person we become along the way more than the actual achievement of the thing itself. Now, this is something our children don't quite understand. They see people who have done something remarkable, but fail to understand the work required to become that remarkable. Next, some advice I received many years ago from a very wise man was this. You are no greater than any man, nor any less. Now, this is a two-sided piece of advice, like a two-sided coin. On one side, you're no better than anyone else. 
everyone you meet, interact with, live with, work with, they have just as much value in the eyes of your creator as you. And as such, we get a chance to see others this way. And when we do, we're more apt to extend grace to others. In Leviticus, God commands Israel not to reap all the way to the edges of your field or gather in the gleanings of your harvest, but leave what's on the edges for the poor and the stranger. And some of you, like me, have lived in the edges, the margins, not just financially, but maybe doing so now emotionally or spiritually, discouraged, maybe afflicted by poor health or family struggles or just weary. So if you're in the margins right now in life, remember, no matter what you've done, no matter what has happened in the past, you are a person of great worth. You're valued and important to your maker and to those around you. Your worth doesn't lie in the paralyzing past. Your worth is found in what you can do and the grace you can give in the future. And the interesting thing is, the longer I live, the more I realize we all live in these margins. And the funny thing is, if we treated everyone, despite their appearances, like they were living in the margins, we would be right most of the time. You never know what other people are going through. So remember, give all the grace you can. Grace is so easy to extend, but so often withheld. When we've lived in the margins, we care more for those who are now living in those margins. Here's a simple story I've always remembered. At a 20-year high school reunion, one of the graduates had a surprising conversation with one of her classmates, and it went something like this. I came to this reunion after all these years, hoping you would be here so that I could thank you. My high school experience was really hard for me. You may have not known it, but you were the only friend I had in high school. And I wondered if maybe the teacher had assigned you to be nice to me. Did he? No, he didn't assign me. Well, you didn't know it. But every day I looked for you because I knew that you would talk to me. You made me feel better about myself. Now I'm married and have a large family. And during these past years, I've thought about it many times. And I wanted to tell you that and thank you. Remember, there was power in extending grace to those in the margins. And remember, the other side of the coin in that advice is that you are no less than any other person. Extend the same grace to yourself. You're not perfect. No one is. Give some grace to yourself and give yourself room to rise. Don't give away your confidence thinking others have what you don't have and are able to do what you cannot do. Your value is no less. Hold up your head, rise to the occasion, and show up because you have something to contribute. Next, some advice from Dr. Phil. At one point, he was struggling in his life, and this advice made the difference for him. In short, it was, get excited about your life. He said, I wanted to know how a person could live a life of real meaning and genuine passion instead of just going through the motions. How can someone truly lead a life he or she wants instead of a life that someone else wants for him or her? And I asked over and over again, what must we do to remain perpetually filled with hope and optimism and energy in a world that's sometimes brutally harsh? Well, I ended up taking 300 hours of college courses and earning my doctorate in clinical psychology in an effort to answer these questions. And after all that, I didn't get the answers right. And there were many times I really struggled. For example, I spent 12 years trapped in a career that made me miserable. 
I stayed in it because I had created a prosperous life for my family and I didn't want to rock the boat. Still, I felt like a fraud because although I was making money, I had no passion. Translation, I sold out. I didn't wake up excited in the morning. I wasn't proud of who I was or what I was doing day to day. And I finally realized that I had to break out of that comfort zone where my life felt safe and go after fulfilling the purpose for my being here on this earth. So I set out to re-engineer those parts of my life that were not me and to build upon those that did feel like me. Soon, I had a life that was authentically mine. There's a reason I so often say to the guests on my television show, the difference between winners and losers is that winners do things losers don't want to do. It's the simple, unvarnished truth. To break out of the routine in life, you have to do what it takes to focus on staying true to yourself and to your dreams, instead of ignoring those dreams and hoping you can get around to them later on. You have to be committed to developing a plan, to creating a life script with measurable goals, and to building a core of supporters around you to help you keep going in the right direction. Through these words, I hope you can save some of the years I wasted. Go find your passion and embrace it. And when you do, you will spring out of bed in the morning, sleep fast at night because you love what you're doing. There are many kinds of currency in life, not just monetary. And I promise you will never regret this work for a moment because life is not a dress rehearsal. This is your life, your one shot. So get excited and I'll see you out there in life kicking up your heels and having fun. Next advice. Rania was born in Kuwait to Palestinian parents. She received her bachelor's degree in business, and in 1991, following the Gulf War, she and her family fled to Jordan, where she met Prince Abdullah of Jordan. Before meeting him, she worked at Citibank and then took a job in marketing at Apple. But she would go on to marry Abdullah in 1993 and serves as the Queen of Jordan. Here is her advice story. Thirteen years ago, I was having a casual breakfast with my beloved father-in-law, the late King Hussein, when he looked me straight in the eye and asked me a simple question. What do you think of me? Well, here was a man whose very name was synonymous with strength and courage and determination. The only thought that crossed my mind was, how could a world leader of your stature possibly care about my opinion? But later, I understood why King Hussein had asked me that question. He wanted to see himself through someone else's eyes. Only later did I realize that he'd been asking that question of people all of his life. It wasn't about flattery or insecurity. It wasn't about pride or arrogance. It was about humility, the greatest virtue of any leader. As human beings, we are all works in progress, and none of us are above a little self-reflection. If we see ourselves as others see us, we begin to appreciate our dimensions. And if we value one another's perspectives, we add more depth to our own. And if we concede our imperfections, we grant ourselves space to improve. That is how we serve those around us more fully and lovingly. That's how we give ourselves more wholly. Last, my favorite piece of advice, imagine getting in your car and getting on the interstate and increasing your speed to 200 miles per hour. Then imagine alongside you and in front of you are other cars traveling at the same speed, but they're only one foot in distance from your car. 
And if that isn't enough, another car is on your tail, which is constantly bumping into you. And you know the slightest increase or decrease in speed will make you come in contact with the car in front or behind you. With cars driving so closely on either side of you, it's likely that one of these cars will bump into you with enough force to cause you to spin out of control or run directly into the side rails of the freeway. And imagine doing this for 500 miles. Well, this is exactly what it's like to drive a stock car in the Daytona 500. The sound is deafening, the heat unbearable, the risk significant. And by the end of the race, mentally, you're spent. Because for hours, you've been strapped into the seat and safety harness trying to work the draft and figure out where to go and navigate the turns and being tense for 500 miles. Well, one of the best drivers in NASCAR ever was the late Dale Earnhardt Sr. In his final race, his son Dale Jr. and his teammate Michael Waltrip were leading the race when a crash occurred at lap 173. Before the race started up at lap 180, after the yellow flag, Dale radioed his son and Michael to keep in the lead. He wanted them to stay ahead of the field so they wouldn't be subjected to the risk of other drivers making mistakes and crashing into them. Dale Sr. told them he would block, meaning he'd run in third place and keep the other cars from getting around him to them. As the laps wound down to the finish, Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Waltrip were battling for the lead. Directly behind them was Dale Sr., who was blocking those from passing him to overtake the leaders. Sterling Marlin kept trying to pass and was making a lot of contact with Earnhardt's car, pushing him left and right. On the final turn of the race, Earnhardt was perfectly positioned to protect his son, and in their rush to get around him, drivers made contact with Earnhardt, pushed him sideways, and as he corrected, he was hit by Schrader and pushed directly into the wall. As the two cars settled in the infield after the crash, Schrader immediately jumped out of his car and ran to check on Earnhardt, who wasn't moving. Dale Sr. would not survive the crash. In speaking of his father, Dale Earnhardt Jr. said the best advice he ever got from him about racing was this. He said, my dad took me aside and said, son, if you ever want to win a NASCAR race, you'll have to unhook the boat that you've been towing behind your race car and race. And you know what Dale Jr. said? He was right. Now, while not the most elegant analogy, I think all of us from time to time are trying to race, pulling a boat behind us. You see, we all want the luxuries we enjoy in life. We want to grow a business and reach our goals and grow as a person, but we want to keep the comforts that we've been towing along for a while. We don't want to change our habits or behavior. We don't want stress. We don't want to stretch. We don't want to do the disciplined things that are required to be successful. And in many ways, the boat many of us are dragging is also our past. We've tried before and not succeeded. We prepared for the race, but didn't finish. We can't seem to let go of this mentality. And perhaps maybe you are dragging a boat along as you try to lose weight again or restart your business or whatever it is you're trying to do. But the minute we unhook our convenient habits, excuses, and luxuries that keep us from giving all of ourselves, we race like we have never raced before. Now, as we end today, let me pass on a piece of advice that two brothers, the Crescenzos, Dave and Phil, both sent to me. They both sent me the same advice. 
And here's how Phil wrote it. And this advice came from their father, quoting Proverbs 22.1, which says that a good name, reputation, is rather to be chosen than riches. And the second half says that loving favor from other people is greater than silver and gold. Phil said, my dad was telling me that if I built a good name or reputation, the riches would follow. And when I decided to start my own sign business, I faced obstacles and stiff competition. By establishing a good name first, the money did follow. And decades later, we would have the largest sign company in our area. That same philosophy became my driving force when I decided to build my current business. You know, I think Phil and Dave are right. A good name, a good reputation is most important. In your business and life, if you put that first, to do business and live in the right way, all other things will likely take care of themselves. Well, I hope these pieces of advice, the best advice that people ever received, will be good advice for you today in your life. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.